What do we do with this jarring, startling accusation of Jesus towards Peter in the gospel today? Get behind me, Satan. He doesn't say that to anybody else except Satan himself. Why does he say this to Peter, particularly right on the heels of last Sunday's gospel, where he's praising Peter for having called him the Christ, the son of the living God? Why is this Jesus' response to Peter saying, God forbid it, Lord, that this never happened to you? So first, an analogy. A car. We are all familiar with cars. Most of us have cars. Most of us drive cars. When you're a child and you have a car, all you know about the car is that the car gets you places. And so you jump into that car because now you're going on a trip and you're going somewhere new. When you learn how to drive, you start to learn how to work the gas and the brake and the steering wheel and the signal light so that you can now move that car. And maybe that's where you end. Some people learn more and they learn about how a car works and they can do some basic maintenance on their car, change the oil or change spark plugs, knowing that if this happens, then this is the solution. But even for those kind of hobby mechanics, can't really stop there with cars anymore because now there's computer chips in cars that control things and your kind of lay mechanic can't do it anymore. You have to bring it to professional who understands how to plug into the computer of your car to fix the things that are connected to the computer. But even a mechanic that connects into the computer couldn't build the car for you. There is somebody else who manufactures the car. But the people that manufacture the car don't do that by themselves. There's somebody who designs the car, creating the aerodynamics and the symmetry between all the mechanical parts so that you can drive the car. There are all these connected pieces together just so that we can use a car to get from A to B. And if all those pieces don't work together, you don't have a car that goes from A to B or you don't have a car that goes from A to B very well. Now, what if you said, ah, I don't really need to change my oil. It's not that important. There's oil in there. It's going to do its job. That's good. Or you just neglect to change the oil the way that you are recommended to change the oil by the mechanic. Ah, they're just stretching it. They just want more money from me, making me change it every five or 10,000 kilometers. I'll just stretch it out a little bit. What's the consequence? Well, if you extend it, then the oil loses its viscosity and you put more strain on the pistons in your car. It collects debris and creates more friction and wears down your engine and will shrink its lifespan. If you never change your oil, then you will get to a point where the oil is no longer capable of doing what it needs to do and your engine will cease. The reason for the amount of kilometers for the engine oil is based on people who have done hours of testing of what is required to allow your engine to work at its maximal capacity. You don't have that information. You are required to trust that information so that you can drive your car. If you deny that that is true, you can still drive your car. You might wear it out faster. And if you really don't trust what they have to say, you're going to break your car. If you deny one part of this synergy of all of these pieces, 
you deny how it works together. Because the denial of one thing, when they're all connected, means the breakdown of the whole. This is why Jesus reacts so strongly to Peter. Peter is denying that he needs to change the oil. Because when Peter denies the need for suffering and forbids Jesus to suffer, Jesus reacts strongly because to deny Jesus his suffering, his passion, is to deny salvation. By rejecting the passion, Peter, without knowing, because he doesn't know how salvation works, Jesus does. Jesus is asking they trust that he knows how salvation comes. But he says, if you deny me my passion, you will deny salvation for everyone. And that's the danger. Because sometimes when we think about what the church teaches us, sometimes we kind of teach it as a bunch of individual parts, right? But that's not what it is. It's a synergy. Everything that the church teaches is connected to another part. It's a web of teachings that are all tied together. So if you deny one part, it will inevitably affect other parts of the whole synergy of the teaching of the faith. That's why Jesus reacts so strongly, and that's why the church teaches what she teaches, because everything is connected together. Because as I often tell people that are inquiring about the Catholic faith, say the reason the church teaches what she teaches all goes back to the faith of Jesus. It's who we believe Jesus to be and how that trickles out into everything that brings us the faith that we have. But what do people want to do? They want to pick and choose all of the moral teachings and debate the individual moral teachings, but never allow them to be tied back to who we believe Jesus to be. How does this happen? Well, Peter denying suffering. How does denying suffering affect our world today? Now, I'm not talking about limiting suffering. We don't go out seeking suffering. We don't glorify suffering as Christians. The problem is wanting to eradicate suffering. So there are some obvious ones. Euthanasia is the desire to eradicate suffering. Abortion is the desire to eradicate suffering. Addictions our desire to eradicate suffering, eliminate it from somebody's life. Self-serving comforts that we build up around us are a desire to eradicate suffering. Sometimes isolation from other people and staying far away and keeping our world very small and not building relationships, not going out into the community, other people are suffering. Isolation is an eradication of suffering. Passing the blame saying all those other people are responsible, responsible for fixing the problems of the world that I live in, like the government, is a desire to eradicate suffering. It's not my suffering, it's their suffering, their responsibility. Rejection of prayer, not wanting to pray. Prayer comes with suffering. Escapism, always looking for that next time where I can escape and get out of the life that I'm living to be somewhere else where the trials of my day-to-day -day life don't exist. And sometimes my anger and my resentment are a way to push things away so I don't have to deal with 
suffering. What Jesus rebukes Peter for has real consequences if we try to do the same thing today. Trying to eradicate suffering in our life prevents salvation from taking place. Another way. Another way everything is tied together. I'll take one teaching of the church, our Sunday obligation. Church teaches us that we need to be at Mass on Sundays. Some people will say, well, what's missing one Mass? Is God really going to judge so harshly? Okay. How many Masses missed is too many? Five? Ten? Fifteen? When have I missed too many Masses? And then, why is coming to Mass so important? Why does the church teach us that we should be here? So that we make sure that we get your collection money every week? No. Why are we called to be here? Well, if I'm not at Mass, I don't receive the Eucharist. No Mass, no Eucharist. Jesus says that I am the bread of life. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And so then if I say no to the Eucharist for one Sunday, a few Sundays, well then, if the Eucharist doesn't take that pride of place, then what about the other sacraments? Do I really live from the grace of my baptism? Do I really live from the grace of God's mercy in confession? Do I seek out the sacrament of the sick when I am in suffering? And then if I kind of dismiss the power of the sacraments, then what I'm saying is that grace and nature can't come together. That God's infinite grace is not capable of mixing with created things. And then if I say that, then there's no incarnation. There's no Jesus. Because Jesus is the Son of God become flesh. Now, we don't have to think about that every Sunday. That's not your responsibility to think about all of those things. But the reason that the church teaches one thing always ties back to Jesus because it is a synergy of things. And if I deny one thing, I'm going to end up denying a bunch of other things explicitly and sometimes implicitly. These are the reasons why the church teaches all the things that she teaches. It always comes back to our understanding of Jesus and of the salvation he brought to us. This is the reason why Jesus, I think, reacts so strongly to Peter, is because to deny him his suffering is to deny the whole of salvation. And this is one of the reasons why we have a crucifix staring at us every time we come to Mass. We could have a cross with no suffering Jesus on it. We could have a cross that only portrays Jesus risen from the dead. But we don't. We have a crucifix because we are tempted to deny him his suffering. And we need to be reminded that the way to salvation is through the cross. Unless you take up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. This is important because we're not responsible for knowing the reason for all of the things that the church teaches. That's too much for any one person to hold. That's not how we live. Although that's the way that a lot of people live today. That I determine what is good for the way that I live my life. We can't live that way, right? If you had to all know how your car works from top to bottom, 
none of us would drive. Because we can't know all of those things. Even those that design the cars, there's individuals that are responsible for designing individual pieces. Because that's not how we live. We live by faith. And so the question for us when it comes to the parts of our faith, am I willing to follow in faith, to take up my cross, trusting that everything that is offered to me in the gift and the plan of salvation is a gift that comes from Jesus.